0: My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy.
1: My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be unvaccinated.
0: And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy.
1: Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice.
0: If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone involved in any way in Burn Notice to television series, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind about any of the words that we say
1: or how we say them
0: at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, both those are burnnoticed with a D like the name of our podcast.
1: Yep, so, nailed how it. You, Got it in one.
0: <laughs> how are you doing, Brie? Also- I'm doing good. It's become a tradition in which where we explain to the audience where we are in time when recording these. <laughs> so, yeah. just so everyone knows who's listening to this in the future, the boat is still stuck. <laughs>
1: oh my god, I forgot about the- How can I forget about Ever Given?
0: I still don't <laughs> know why there's Ever Given in Evergreen. I have- that has not been explained to me and I have not looked it
1: Evergreen up. is the company, Evergiven is the vessel.
0: What does Evergiven mean?
1: Who knows? I mean, it's. I, I imagine that boat names are similar to like horse names, like racehorse names. Where there's oh, like, like really bizarre just phrases. Usually references. they
0: mean something. I don't know why it's ever given. I don't under those are not two words that make sense when you put them together by themselves.
1: No, it is. It's very, very strange. It's a very strange name for a boat. But it's a, a very name boat for a boat for doing what it can to for destroy what the world do. economy.
0: Yes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Did you. you ever see ever that given?
1: that quoting from uh Marx about how he also once thought about uh, like, ma- man, it would be great if we could just, like, block the Suez Canal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. Is that. the timeline of that, like, work out? When was the Suez Canal? How old is the Suez Canal? Well,
1: you know, this is a Burn Notice podcast, so of course we're going to find out.
0: Are you going to look it up right now?
1: Yeah, of course. I'm on my fucking okay. computer. What am I, I know, supposed like, to do? Sit here like an asshole and not know? Construction not know began how- in 1859.
0: 1859. Okay. And Karl Marx died. Hang on. I guess... I I know when Karl Marx was alive. I'm aware. Yeah, he,
1: he died after it was fully constructed. Because it, it began in... Uh, 59 and it it was uh completed in 69 and he died nice. in 83 he's he died like 20 years after the suez canal Interesting. was constructed cool.
0: so yeah yeah and i'm loving all the jokes that like about how we're returning to like 1700s shipping around the yeah going around cape of good
1: hope. the yeah. hope yeah cape of good hope anyways yeah the boat's still stuck and i am half vaccinated
0: you're a half and you're Chris is half not fast. so
1: i can't Uh, unfortunately i cannot touch her as i so crave to do
0: oh my gosh Um, (laughs) yes i still got it doctors do not give her the second vaccination
1: (laughs) it cannot Um, be safe for her to touch me please yes it's my only hope
0: anyway that's thematically relevant. So, this episode, season five, episode two, "Bloodlines," aired on June thirtieth, twenty eleven, is written by Alfredo Barrios Jr. And, and it directed, absolutely lives up to that. And it is directed by Colin Foxie, who has directed the show before. This is actually his last episode. But Aww. I looked him up. I don't know. We well, I can understand before.
1: why. Probably not a um, good episode to go out on.
0: I don't remember like, if we've talked about him before. I looked him up. I love how his IMDb is a picture of him holding an Emmy. Like he wants you to know that he has an Emmy. Like all the only pictures that exist on IMDb are him getting an Emmy, talking about talking with his Emmy, posing with his Emmy. He has an Emmy. He got an Emmy for an episode of Fargo. Yes. Uh, we've, um,
1: yeah, we've definitely talked about him before because I think I also referenced that. Like he's an Emmy winner.
0: Um, but also, I learned that in the 70s he was married to verity lambert who was like the original the original producer and like one of the co-creators of doctor who oh wow which is a really weird detail which like yeah doctor who by the way was like first ran and co-created by a woman um like verity lambert's like an amazing person who had a really cool interesting career that i think it, i'm not the person who's like the best at like explaining her whole career and that's not relevant for this show but go look her up ferdy lambert really cool person um uh, and also was married Colin to Busey this dude for a while won an
1: emmy yeah. <laughs> the um, only interesting thing about him is his past marriage and the one emmy he's
0: won the one emmy that he's gotten um, just the single he's got like a decent resume. Emmy. but like yeah
1: yeah he's got he's done a lot of stuff
0: so, the um, the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is while the CIA assigns Michael to babysit a scientist, Jesse asks him for help in bringing a group of Yakuza human traffickers to justice. And yeah, that is sort of what happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I think at various points on this podcast, I have asked that, like, episodes of the show, A, be more thematically consistent, b involve madeline in the cases more and c like not kind of ignore or just do throwaway shit about the fact that like michael's dad was abusive and every time that i said that a finger on a monkey's paw curled (laughs) and yeah and then that paw handed me this episode of television
1: And Here's it slapped you across the face with it. Slapped you across the little face monkey
0: with this hands. episode of television. <clears throat> I want to make a distinction at the beginning. <laughs> and you might disagree with me on this. Okay. Like I said, in a way that this this episode is giving me a lot of things that I've asked for. It is one of the most thematically consistent episodes of Burnettist that I have ever seen. It is about a thing. It is about men being shitty to women. And, yep. like, in a really consistent way that, that the show navigate that. is not usually. Um, and it is really a test case for my theory that that is a good thing. Um, Because, like... I don't know if this is, like, just structurally or, like, just on paper, like, in terms of, like, the fundamentals, a badly written episode of television. It's just...
1: You don't think it is?
0: Yeah. It is just, like, I think a really awful, like, kind of morally bankrupt episode of television that is that shows why you shouldn't let certain people tell certain stories.
1: Um, Yeah, I agree with a hundred percent of what you're saying. Cause 'cause I don't think that like the specific things that happen in this episode shouldn't be explored. I think that there's a lot to unpack with both of the sides of that coin that they're playing with. But I definitely agree that uh, if I was going to pick somebody to write it, even if I only had the male writers of burn notice to pick from, Alfredo Barnes Jr would not have would been not at the top of that, that list. Person.
0: And he would like, not be like, remote. Make...
1: He wouldn't even be I would pretend he didn't exist when I was making my decision. There would be no fucking way I'd let him anywhere near this episode.
0: Yeah. But like and I really want to make this distinction cuz I don't like it when people equate morally shitty writing with bad writing. And especially since like we talk a lot about craftsmanship. Yes. Like we talk a lot on this show about how we don't think Alfredo Barrios Jr. is a particularly good writer. Um and like I wanna be very clear that this is not the argument that I'm making. I am not saying that like bad writing like equals writing about like morally kind of bad things or like the wrong person telling the wrong story that I think should be told. Mm-hmm. And I just and I just wanna get that out of the way. Cause actually there's a because like There's a lot going on in this episode thematically that I want to unpack. And like the fact that there is so much to unpack is like a sign that like, if nothing else, the craftsmanship is there, which in a way kind of makes it worse. I kind of wish it was worse in the way that it was written because, it, you know, but it's just, let's get into it yeah
1: let's let's actually talk about this if you watched this episode you know why it's a bummer but yeah let's get into the weeds and really really, yeah. really
0: i don't think we got into in the weeds there. last week but to be fair i, I don't, don't think, think there we were i don't think there were yeah, weed, nothing weeds happened
1: last week. last week let's all be honest so <laughs> the like, most interesting part of a, last week's episode yeah, was us talking about what tv shows
0: we watched where the weeds have grown tall
1: <laughs> we gotta do some mowing
0: all right so The episode starts and Michael is chasing someone mysterious on a dirt bike in Costa Rica who turns out to be Fee. And it turns out that this is foreplay.
1: (laughs) Which I did like. Like, Here's the thing about this episode is that like the the Fee and Michael stuff is great. The beginning and end scenes are really fun. I like that shit.
0: I will say it's weird... And I'll, I'll get to this at the end. It's weird that this episode is bookended by a fee and Michael plot. that yeah. is uh, maybe unrelated it's, I to that, the thing that is about.
1: I wonder if they realized that this was going to be a bummer episode for one of the primary women on this show, and we're like, "Well, we gotta, we gotta give back a little bit. Like, we gotta even the the karma scales." Yeah, it's exactly.
0: I don't know. But anyway, so it starts out, and it turns out they're on vacation, getting some R and R at like a government facility in Costa Rica. Um, and it and is
1: officially f- a uh, a vacation. Like she yes, even she calls it a vacation. vacation. Yeah. it is at a training facility, but
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it is like very clear. Like this is R and R. It's not as if like Michael like is doing work and calling it a vacation. It is a vacation.
1: Mm-hmm. Just happens to be a vacation at work, kind of.
0: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's like if you work at Chuck E. Cheese and then also do your birthday at a different Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah exactly like not even the same chucky e. cheese but yeah they're filling each other up out, like in the dirt and some like cia guys come up and say like no you gotta you gotta do work now um and it turns out that michael's got his first post burn gig he's still technically burned, but like this is like his first job just working for the cia again because like it seems like before this in episode one he was like being contracted to do this one specific thing like he and the CIA were working together to like get the guys who burned him to get Kessler the big black hat at the end of everything and this is now Mm -hmm. just like Michael kind of working on probation I guess Um, for the CIA
1: yeah because he's still definitely burned like he very much is like on a short leash he is not officially back burn notice is still out Exactly. Even though they like hunted down and presumably got the information they needed from the organization that did the burning and could confirm that all the stuff that they claimed he did, he didn't do. Like, how much more fucking on probation does this man need to be? Like... Have I mean, we I not more literally like,
0: disproved it? I think they like told everyone that, Michael, that they burned Michael, and so they can't just be like, never mind, we were wrong. They have to pretend like, because imagine having to send that text out.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know how the CIA announces major th- personnel changes over text.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Michael's got his first new CIA job, which turns out to be babysitting a philandering nuclear scientist who is apparently so horny that he is liable to just spill nuclear secrets to like anyone if the CIA does not stop him from doing so. At one point, like Max says that he has like the libido of a rock star, which makes him sound like a lot better at sex than I think this guy is. Like, <laughs> well, this is, libido this does is, not
1: necessarily equate to performance. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is very true. But like this, this man is not a rock star. And anyway. he is just a very British guy who's not named Aldous Huxley, but is named something suspiciously similar to that. Doesn't matter, but I just yeah, thought I'd point that out. I don't
1: think I ever learned this dude's name. I did not care.
0: No. Anyway, later, Michael and Fee are looking for a new apartment for Fee because she needs a new place. And she is looking for a, quote, bachelor pad as the real estate agent suggests it. Fee likes the apartment okay. She isn't sure where she's gonna put her snow globes, but Michael is like not interested at all. And I think Fee takes yeah. this as like he's surly about like the fact that he's all business now. And which is further confirmed by the fact that he gets a call from Jesse in the middle of doing this. And he's like, Fine, let's go. I gotta do this Jesse thing. I'll wait outside. And she's like he's surly because he's all business. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's so. back to normal.
0: Back to normal.
1: Michael Michael, Michael has turned his back on the fun, Michael, and now he is just a company man again.
0: Just a company man. Anyway, so we meet Jesse, and he has a sweet car and a case. One thing that they really established in this episode, I think because Jesse was barely in the first episode, is, like, Jesse's job. And the thing about Jesse's job is that he has money. He has gadgets. He has a sweet car that I bet was sponsoring the show so i'm sure we'll see more like luxurious car chase footage of this car at some point (laughs) but all of this just to say that like yeah jesse's got a high paying gig now these also get a case. And this is a barrio up so it is human trafficking. Michael says he's too busy to help, and Jesse and Fee chastise him for caring more about babysitting than helping human trafficking victims. So Fee tells Jesse that, like, you know what? Fuck Michael. Like, me and Sam will do this human trafficking thing. And Michael won't even be involved. Except, of course, he'll be involved. All of this stuff is really perfunctory. Like, we meet the woman who is the client. Her name is Ryoko, who has a cousin who is named Riko, who is trafficked from a village in Japan, along with 20 other girls. Jesse is able to find, like, an address of, like, a hotel where, like, one of the traffickers might be staying. Because he's got, like, his sweet new job now and all these security contacts. But this is all, like, bog standard. And like, well, the only
1: thing that's not standard is that usually we get hired by someone who's looking for a family member. But importantly, uh, Ryoko, her cousin is dead. She was killed no, on no, the phone here's the thing. with the girl's family.
0: No, Ryoko, her cousin's not dead.
1: Oh, her cousin's not? Who is yeah, dead? No, then? Here,
0: I rewound this and like listened to it because I was confused too. I also thought that her cousin was dead. Her cousin is not dead. Her cousin is still alive. Another girl called the village to talk to her family who stole a phone and that girl died but her cousin's still alive because like you know her stakes are personal and you know
1: got it okay yeah i missed that too I, I thought it was her cousin
0: no i because i had the same thing that you had but we A, never again. see
1: them like reunite at the end so no of course because like, it, it may matter. as well have been like, her cousin
0: yes because this is an episode that's about like using the abuse and pain of women but never really being about it yeah <laughs> so and all of this is like really Og standard stuff so we get the case this is the thing uh we get a scene of michael um, playing drunk and cock blocking the british dude who hates his wife he just hates his wife he all he talks about is how much he hates his wife you'd think this episode was written by jason tracy get for how much this dude hates his wife although you could tell that the episode is not written by jason tracy because we are supposed to think that he is bad for hating his wife that jason tracy up everyone hated that guy's wife but no yeah he's not just a philanderer he is not just someone who sleeps around he also hates his wife which again is bad because the most important thing to alfredo barrios jr is family he is not being a good husband right now meanwhile sam fee and jesse find takeda who is one of the guys who trafficked the girls and quickly ascertained that he is Yakuza due to his nice suit and tattoos. However, they can't observe him long because he's tipped off by a waiter and leads them on a foot chase that sends them over buildings and eventually ends when he gets hit by a car. And the gang abducts him under the guise of taking him to the hospital, which is like very nice and like not at all conspicuous. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, is... he's like screaming, like, get away from me. And they're like, we're taking you to health. Exactly. And it's like, um, yeah, it's like, no, he's fine. He's fine. We're not like abducting this person. Also, I just want to mention really quickly that at one point, um, despite the fact that uh, Bruce Campbell has is like fit he still like has to like jump is very annoyed that he has to like jump off a building and they really drive home that he is having a harder time jumping over the building than everyone else does like they make a point of saying it like like showing him struggling i don't know why Mm -hmm. but you know that's what we're doing and it stuck out to me but yes so So all this happens, and Sam immediately calls Michael because he can't not be involved. Uh, Apparently, Takeda is not talking to any of them, like Jesse, Fee, or Sam, because he thinks that they're all muscle. And they think that maybe if the boss was there, he would talk to the boss. But also, there's a second problem, which is that he was hit by a fucking car. Sure. And so he needs medical attention. So they, they need someone to, like, nurse him. And... Sam has an idea about who that nurse should be. Sam, I think, has good intentions. And he loves his friend Madeline. But is, like, a weird, unintentional villain of this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, in the way that that he moves things along. He has enlisted Madeline to be, like a nurse, to pose as a nurse to, like, nurse this guy to back to help. Michael is not happy about that. And Madeline's there, but she wants to help because we have to get the girls. It's actually really interesting the way that this show uses human trafficking. It's very similar to the way that human trafficking is used in real life. <laughs> what to, do you mean? To justify a lot of awful things. Like, so many, like, QAnon conspiracies, like, start out like suck people in on the guise of things like human trafficking it's like save the children it's like the podcast you're wrong about has done a couple of really good episodes about the way that like human trafficking statistics are manipulated to like get people to donate money and frighten people to support all kinds of really shitty causes because it's always about like helping the children and helping the women as long as their are statistics and we never have to get actually think about actual people and there are these women and they're being trafficked and so therefore all like that is every bad thing that happens in this episode is justified because well we have to save these human trafficking victims and so that's in now that's what all madeline wants to do and so michael explains that he's being a bad boss guy so he is going to have to be really shitty and abusive to madeline in order to sell that she is a scared nurse and she's like, yeah, I can do that. And He's like, no, I'm really going to have to be really bad. And at this point where I started squirming uncomfortably in my seat. And then to prove yep. it, he shouts really angrily at her. And she is physically shaken. Well, um, she is an
1: abuse victim. I'm sure yes, exactly. a man shouting at her is a little triggering.
0: Yeah. And then he shouts her in the room. In the room, uh, Madeline tries to patch Takeda up. And then Michael comes in and again screams at her. And screams at, and screams at Takeda. I am curious in the performance. I do think that when Michael comes in and starts screaming, and this might—I don't know if this is on purpose or just like an accident—he does not have a Southern accent. But then, in the middle of screaming, he gets a Southern accent.
1: Yeah, it's like he's working out his character as he yes. as he gets into it.
0: Exactly. He comes in. He screams at Takeda. And Takeda maintains that he's not ever gonna betray his gang. Like, like he's like, I work for the fucking yakuza. Like there's nothing you can do it's the fucking yakuza yeah and michael explains that he is like a rival human trafficker and he needs like this is his territory again all really bog standard like burnetta stuff they yeah and it yells. seems like the
1: reason that michael has to be so like abusive is that like these yakuza you these yakuza guys are like so gnarly that they'll only exactly. respond to, be to be someone who, ha- who claim exactly yeah. there's someone who claims power the same way they claim it like that seems to yes. be why they don't really believe the other three chuckle fucks are in charge because they aren't violent enough because that wasn't exactly they didn't start violent
0: yes anyway after all of this madeline is visibly shaken and she says that she hasn't seen that in a while and then leaves. And when Fee asks what she meant, Michael doesn't want to talk about it, but the subtext is clear. Michael's alias this week is his abusive dad. Yep. Yeah. And like this becomes text later, but like that is what is happening. This is an episode of television in which a woman who had an abusive husband encourages her son who was also abused by that husband to, to like reenact, it? yeah, to reenact that abuse on her and the episode is created to save a other situ-
1: battered women.
0: Yes. Yes. create a situation in which that is morally justified and then so that we can watch the violence inflicted upon her and then watch the way that he michael feels bad about the, the pain that he is causing even though like going out of its way to justify that violence and pain so what ends up being argued in this episode is in order to save abused women, sometimes you have to abuse women.
1: Yep, got to break a couple of eggs to make a
0: yeah, you know, to make um, omelet, etc. You have to break a couple of eggs in order to not break these other eggs. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, and also, Michael tells Fee that like this is his job now, so I need to send you, Fee, to this other scumbag, and you're gonna have to babysit the sexually harassing philanderer who hates his wife. And so mm-hmm. she goes and does that. Fee goes uh, to this dude who hates his wife. And also Fee's boundaries because he just keeps trying to shove his hand up her skirt. It's really uncomfortable. And like, yep, it's this thing where this man is a comedy scumbag, I think they think he is, where because like Fee is like always like pushing him away, and Fee never doesn't have the upper hand in the situation. And I think the episode thinks that's fine. But like in the context of this, but it's also part of this like context that it's doing of this episode about men abusing women. And so watching this scene of like Madeline getting yelled at and all this stuff, and then immediately cutting to watching this like dude just keep trying to like, like shove his hand up the skirt is very uncomfortable. (laughs) He decides like, And he keeps, he go on and on about how boring his wife is. Fee decides that they should go on a drive. In the car, he talks about how much he hates his wife again. She's boring. And so Fee decides to make his life more exciting by speeding down the highway. Like, she just goes, like, guns at, like, 100 plus miles an hour. And, like, tells him, like, hey, turn." When should I turn like so I don't hit cars and like scares the bejesus out of him and then like runs and then runs the car off the road because like she, unlike his wife, is not boring and he flees the scene terrified. Meanwhile, randomly Sugars in this episode?
1: but like just for, for one a half scene. A scene for like one they, short this scene. guy must be the coolest dude in the world for the like bones that of scraps that they throw him randomly just to get him in an episode he
0: seems like a, he must be a cool dude he's not a good actor
1: <laughs> and he's literally there for one scene like they don't even bother to bring him back he just shows up to give michael some drugs says like Ooh, what kind of party you having and then he's just fucking gone that's it that's all we have of him
0: Have they just decided that, like, sugar has to be in the show once a season? Like
1: Yeah, also, where's Barry? It's been a while since we've seen Barry. Where's Barry? It's been so
0: long since we've seen Barry. But It's like, no, it's important that we know where they got the drugs from. It's like, who cares? That's not the most important thing. If they just had drugs, I would not question it. Like, we don't need a pointless scene of sugar. Anyway, so they get these, like, pain meds. And, Ma- and it's like liquid that you like inject and madeline goes back to give a shot of painkillers to takeda but takeda demands that she does not give him the shot he doesn't want to be woozy. he doesn't want to like he can suck it up through the pain and then he also says that he'll help her if she helps him and he's really insistent she ends up winds up not giving him the shot and then uh michael comes in and pulls her out and like yells at her again and like and then like digs his hand into Yakeda's wound and like tortures him some and Madeline watches him torture this guy and then afterwards Michael and Madeline talk and Madeline admits that she I didn't give him the meds Uh, Michael's like why didn't you give him the meds and she goes because I think I can get him to talk.
1: Yeah. So something that they seem to be doing here, um, and I'm curious how Lisa Joy, who's definitely still in the writer's room at this time, is like navigating an episode like this. But it very much like it seems like Madeline is actively like insisting that she yes. is more and more a part of this. Like she from the beginning, she's like, are you know, are, are is my involvement going to, you know, help? save a bunch of girls lives then do it we'll just do it and like it seems like they almost need madeline to give them permission to mistreat them so that the show doesn't feel icky about doing it
0: no yeah no this is the thing this is what i'm saying is that like they have engineered a very specific scenario and so this so that this thing can occur they are like finding a way to do this thing so that like they can show the abuse not deal with the abuse but like show it like it's very like exploitation film but like in a way where they are not where they can like point to her saying that i said to do this it's not bad like the thing is that like they don't want us to hate michael for this Mm -hmm. they think that like the fact that they have that madeline says it's okay makes this all justified but it's not
1: yeah which Uh, is kind of messed up like you have to ask make the woman ask for it in order to mistreat her so it's fine it's actually feminist yeah, it's like, well, exactly. oh, she wants to be dressed like that. She chose to be dressed
0: like that because exactly. of feminism. It's, it's, like, it's like,
1: well, but a man, a man dressed her. Just because the character opts into it does not mean that it's not a man in charge.
0: A man wrote this episode. Yes. yes, exactly. A man wrote this episode. A man directed this episode.
1: Like, a woman having agency is sort of meaningless if the agency banks on troubling things and also is... Entirely at the whim of the male creator, writer, wardrobe stylist, etc. A man is still in charge just because a woman is saying the words.
0: Yes. Yes. So Michael and Sam give Madeline a lowdown. Like Takeda's going to give her the info probably, but they have to sell it. So Michael is going to have to yell and scream and probably tear her blouse. And then at which point Madeline volunteers to be hit. Like she says, if you hit me, it will sell it. Hmm. And Michael's like and then Michael was like no I don't want to do that and then she says no it will work. No one ever in this episode questions that this is the right play. Everyone like frets because they don't want to do it but it is never questioned whether or not this is the right thing to do. Takeda's like dizzy from pain and so Michael goes in and then yells at Madeline for not medicating him right and then he hits her and then he Pins her against the wall with his hand around her neck.
1: I don't think I I was watching at this point. Like you, you sort of the flip side of when I watched the comedians first, uh, you gave me a heads up for this episode. So as soon as I saw a scene like this happening, I'm like, I'm going to go to a different tab for a little while. So I saw the hit and then I left.
0: Which like was not a thing that was established that he would do. This is another thing that like there is some, there's not a lot of scenes of them actually discussing there are some scenes of them discussing the violence but mostly in a hand hand-wringing way there's lots of scenes where madeline demands that the violence happen and then sam and michael explain how the how the violence will happen she doesn't get a say in how the violence will happen
1: yeah yeah she doesn't um, say like hit me right here you know i'll, yeah, I'll she does not away. like like it's it's still male directed like she's consenting quote unquote but, yes. like, in the way that, like, people on Dollhouse consent, to, I've been watching Dollhouse with my mom and Quinn, uh, but, yes. like, the same, like, Dollhouse is obviously not consensual because just because you consent to do this for five years, the fact that you can't revoke consent at any point makes it not yeah. consensual.
0: Anyway, so, yes, he pins her against the wall with his, like, hand around her neck, and then he leaves, and then Takeda gives Madeline a line on the restaurant where his boss hangs out, and when there's, where there's going to be a meeting, and then who to ask for at the restaurant outside michael is very disturbed at what he's had to do and sam says that he and jesse and b can go to the restaurant while he stays here and keeps an eye on takeda um which is kind of odd that like i guess like yeah michael's not a good place to go do this other thing but it's also like here you stay here in the scene of the crime sit in what you did meanwhile Sam sets up a sweet microphone that he got from Jesse's job. Like, it's like he's this really nice, like, shotgun mic or whatever. And Jesse and Ryoko listen in, in on the Yakuza conversation. I was legitimately surprised that Ryoko showed up before the end of the episode. But then she didn't show up at the end of the episode. So Or did she?
1: She doesn't. That, that's why I assumed that she was, um, that her it was her cousin she was talking about yeah because we definitely well and also like she's barely even a client of the week because usually she's, the client of the week gets checked in with and gets like exactly. a lower third and i don't I think mean, she, she did got a get a, third lower, third. Third. No, did got
0: a lower third oh she got a lower third oh
1: okay i missed that but, but yeah. like we don't check in with her midway through to give her up- progress updates
0: no I mean, uh, we and i'm do, curious though, because she is in this scene
1: oh well then but, i yeah. really wasn't paying attention because i did not want to watch this episode
0: yeah and then like you know, she is in the scene because like they need her to translate um, oh
1: right i do remember that okay
0: the conversation ends and sam starts following the accusa guys but they get but he gets caught right away and has to call an audible there is a joke that i kind of like where like his audible is that like pretends that he found their watch he's like i found this watch is this your watch and the guy looks at it and goes yes that's my watch and he takes it and then sam walks away it's like that guy just stole my watch which I did like. That was a good guy.
1: Yeah, I did too. And I like that the guy was just like, yeah, that is my watch. And isn't like, that's not my watch. Why are you following me?
0: Yeah. No, yeah. He buys, he buys Dan's performance. He's like, Hey, free watch. Uh, (laughs) Um, It's like, oh, this is, he's like, this is my day. Like, yeah, we can't find Takeda, but I got to watch out of it. But yeah, the guys leave and they can't follow them. But Ryoko tells them that she heard that if they don't hear from Takeda, they are going to kill the girls in two hours. So, like, things need to happen fast. So I bet it's, that's going to be used to justify more violence. Back at the beach house. Because, yeah, they're doing all this interrogation at this beautiful beach house. Like... It's a great location. It looks gorgeous.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got some pretty, pretty locations the last two episodes.
0: Yeah. I, and it was well shot. That I do think, like, it was well shot. Both this episode and last week had a bunch of really weird random fades.
1: Yeah, the transitions were strange. There was some, like, zooms, and then there was some, like, yeah, fade-outs to commercial that seemed more obvious than or usual. Like,
0: or, like, fades within a scene, like, montages that had fades. It was weird.
1: Yeah, they, they're playing around with the editing choices. And yeah. as we know about Burn Notice, that's not always a good idea. That's not
0: always a good thing. But yeah, Sam, Michael, and Madeline discuss what to do next. Madeline asks Michael, what would he do if he was in her position? Michael doesn't say anything. And then Sam, who again, seems to be facilitating all of this. Because Sam is here in the position of someone who understands what needs to be done. And is sad about it, but knows that it needs to be done. And like is less emotionally connected to it so he can say the thing that Michael is too scared to say or whatever, which is, like, really fucked up. Sam says, like, he offers that what Michael would do is he'd stage an escape with Takeda to lead them to the girls. Michael refuses that this happens. Like, he wants Madeline to be done. He does not want to put her in any more danger. And he, like, yells at her and says, like, no, you will not do this. And Madeline yells back that he can play his father in there, but not out here, which, again, makes it textual yeah that this is the thing that is happening like it's very clear that this is the thing that is happening but like this is the moment where we make it text which is like it's like sort of it is the dramatic climax of the episode essentially that we're finally saying the thing out loud but she is determined to do this
1: yeah well i mean that's been the 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 only reason we're getting away with this the entire episode exactly she is bought in
0: yes so madeline frees takeda and Michael and Co do a good job of giving chase as Madeline and Takeda like drive away. Madeline keeps pressing him as to where like his friends are, but he does not want to be followed. So Michael and Co like stop tailing them to make them think that they got free. Madeline has set up a phone on speaker so they can listen into the conversation. Um, eventually Takeda directs her to a warehouse district, but wants to do the rest on foot. He wants to be dropped off. He's like, "I'll go from here," and which is not good because they need to know exactly where he's going. So Madeline calls an audible and says, oh, wait, I think I just saw, I just saw them. They're here. Like, you need to tell me. And he finally does give up the info. At which point, like, Madeline immediately stops acting. Like, Takeda gets out of the car so that Madeline can drive away, but she doesn't drive away. She pulls out a cigarette, which is what Madeline always does when the act is over. (laughs) Michael and the gang drive up and then they start, and then, like, Michael and Madeline talk, is like equals and let Takeda know the jig is up and then Michael hands Madeline a gun so she can watch Takeda while everyone else goes and does um the other stuff the thing that's interesting to me about this is that they all leave Madeline alone with Takeda after she has been outed like yes she has a gun but also like he's a Yakuza guy and like yes he's in pain but like it's weird that like they were willing to do all this other stuff, but, like, in the time when finally, when the guy knows that he has been betrayed, they are willing to leave her alone with him. Because, like, as best I can yeah. tell, everyone else goes to the warehouse.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, they just give her a gun and are they like, give her yeah, gun, that'll be fine. It's fine.
0: Also, the thing that's sort of interesting is the way that, like, they give Malin a gun and she's sort of like, hey hey, hey I got you. And because she's glad to finally have comeuppance against this guy but also this guy has never done anything to her like this guy has been the nicest to madeline that anyone has been in the episode but it doesn't matter because he's a yakuza guy who's friends with human traffickers so like it doesn't matter his, like her relationship with him or anything it doesn't matter that he seemed to genuinely care about her and like, yes, i don't know if i go that her. far i mean like he yes. was definitely
1: playing her and he felt he, very, he seemed very her. frustrated with her he seemed very frustrated like, get but like me out of no, here
0: yes but like at no point did he ever seem all that interested on ter- in turning on her like he seemed well
1: i think that his whole gambit had to be that he was nicer than michael was and i, mean, I don't yes, know if that's it's so much gambit. that i, I mean yes don't get me wrong
0: that. this guy is like the point that i'm making is that the episode makes this weird distinction between, like, a bad guy is a thing that you are, not a thing that you do. Michael and Sam do some really heinous shit in this episode, but it's fine Mm -hmm. because they are good guys. Whereas, like, Takeda doesn't actually do any shitty things in this episode. He's connected to people who do shitty things, and I'm sure he has done shitty things in the past, but we don't see those shitty things ever. Goodness is, like, an inherent trait. It is not, like, actions aren't good or bad. It is the people that are good or bad. And it's okay that Michael and Sam, like, did these awful things to Madeline. And the thing is that, like, Madeline is giving consent to do this. But also, she knows nothing about this job. Like, she is trusting... That, like, Sam and Michael know best and know that this is the only way to do this play. When Sam and Michael tell her that, yes, you were going to have to be abused, she does not question that at all. She does not. She, like, trusts that. She puts her trust in them that this is the thing that they have to do. And at no point is this questioned. And I think
1: that's it. I mean... It, I don't know if it needs it, in Burnoutist thinks it needs to be just because like the Yakuza guys are evil and they're playing it being nice to get Madeline to help him escape. Michael and co are good guys playing it being bad so that they can save good people. I think yes. you're, it, I don't think it's so much like bad is a thing that you are not a thing that you do and more just like intention matters. And sometimes we have to do bad things to get good results. Um, and I'm not saying we don't deserve to, you know, explore that more deeply, but I, I don't think that it's quite as simple as like they're saying that bad is a thing that you do. Or no, bad no, is a I'm thing s- that you are. bad is a
0: thing that you are. I'm just saying that like, that is the subtext, because that is, that is the subtext of a lot of Alfredo Barrios Jr.'s episodes.
1: I mean, that's true. That's a really good like, point.
0: No, this is the thing. This is what I'm saying, is that by telling this story, that is the subtext. Like That is what is going on. I don't think it's intentional, but that's what it's sort of a
1: a yeah natural result of Alfredo Barrios Jr. writing
0: this episode. Yes, yes, I don't. Yeah, I think that like also I forget when it happens. It seems like I was at this point I was eating dinner and wanting to get through this nonsense. So I did not write it down anywhere it looks like or maybe I did but at some point Fee traps the British guy the nuclear scientist in his room and it's like they have this scene in which Fee is like no don't you want me I'm exciting don't you... I thought you hated but, your no that happens wife. like
1: at the very that happens at the very end of the car scene that happened like way earlier I I assume you were just sort of truncating the car scene because I think that happens oh, no. pretty much I, instantly where and it's she she locks no, no, him a, she doesn't lock him anywhere it's the bathroom the he, he runs into a bathroom to he hide from himself her and locks himself. Yeah. yeah,
0: no, no. I it happened at some point. It doesn't happen in the same scene as the car chase.
1: It happens it pretty quickly happen after, though.
0: But yeah, I it happens a scene or two later. I forgot to write it down because again, this episode was a lot. But yes, I do want to mention that that happens because this is important. <laughs> it's part of it because another another theme of Alfredo Baris Jr. is the importance of family and so like literally like V is there yelling it's like I thought you hated your wife then he has to go actually no I love my wife my wife is great and then so (laughs) he calls his wife and tells her that he loves her and that makes it okay it doesn't matter that he he cheats on her regularly Mm -hmm. like it doesn't it doesn't matter whether or not his wife loves him his wife is a non-entity in this his wife does that. Yeah, remember.
1: I also thought that was a weird conclusion. Like, oh, now he loves his wife. I'm like, I assumed he was just doing a story to like get fee off his back so that he could go have sex with a safer woman.
0: Yeah, no, he no, because he has to learn. Like, that's the thing. He is being taught a moral lesson about what it means to be a good husband, and that is like, it is not to be a philanderer. It is to be someone who loves your wife. Family is important. Uh-huh. You have to be like this is the thing, and like, and like it's the same kind of thing that's like really endemic to a lot of this writer's work it's really consistent like and it's really frustrating because yeah like his wife it doesn't matter that like he has treated his wife terribly like if his wife found out about all the things that he did she would probably leave him but that would be bad because the important thing is families stick together i believe
1: yeah he he got writer. over it he learned you just exactly. gotta teach him he a learned. lesson and then yeah. it'll be fine
0: exactly i mean like this is not the first time that like afraid of Raya jr has written a story about like a married couple on the rocks that are like divorced or whatever that gets back together like the important things that families stick together not that like dynamics within them are good or bad
1: yeah yeah it's, uh, i mean it that's that's always been the burn notice line though it's like nate might fuck up but we do and yes
0: but like we, we do care really, about him he is our family it's especially the barrios line
1: yeah for like,
0: sure it is definitely a thematic recurring thing of his like that always shows up because like that's because like good family men are good, criminals are bad,
1: and bad family men are bad, but I bet if somebody just had a good talk into Frank Weston yeah. or whatever the hell his name is, I'm sure it would have been fine.
0: Exactly. Like that um, the
1: simplicity of his morality makes every time he brings up the past abuse feel like yes. grating and like he, even he doesn't believe that it's really traumatic.
0: I feel like if anyone else wrote this episode, fee would fee would tell this woman this woman about how awful her husband is it's weird that like she is engineering a scenario in which he stays married to this woman yeah like no fuck this guy he shouldn't be married yeah. to this woman
1: 100 yeah that happens like, uh, i mean that's just sort of a thing in tv though there's so many tv shows i can't even think of an example right now because it's truly all of them where like we end up for some reason being on the guy's side even though the guy fucks something up and it's like well now he needs to earn her love back and it's like no he already He fucked this up. Maybe he can be in a new relationship. If he gets into a new relationship, I'm not going to try to like cancel him by his bad behavior in the last one. If I do believe through your plot that, you know, he has gotten better, but he absolutely doesn't fucking deserve the same person. Sometimes you just fuck something up and you can't get it back. And sure, you've learned, but like, that's not her problem. And she is in by no way obliged to like, take you back.
0: Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. No, like fuck fuck your like family if they're shitty to you which leads us into the next scene after they like get all the yakuza guys and free the girls who we see ever so briefly because they're not characters like no. it's not like we we care about we quote care about them because they're victims but like we don't care about them as people we don't care about actual victims of human trafficking we care about the idea of it anyway, so they're fine. So afterwards Jesse meets Madeline and Michael outside the police station to tell us that everyone's fine and all the bad guys are in jail. He also tries to pay Michael, who refuses cause he's Michael, and then mm-hmm. Madeline does take the money, which I did like.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot too. But then she gives it to Michael. But then
0: and then, yes, I couldn't tell if she gave him all of the money or something. I couldn't of the either. Money. I was gonna ask you. <laughs> I was it looked like she may have still had something in her pocket or in her hand, but I'm not sure. But, but yeah, yes, she gave she Michael some to, to like Michael fix the charts fix the charger her dad the dad's charger and then michael says maybe it's better to leave the past in the past and then madeline says that you should stare the past down because it made us who we are yep
1: yeah, that's like the most burn notice bullshit ever they i feel exactly. like we've had the same conversation between these two characters at some point in like one yes. of the early seasons this feels very familiar
0: yes but also like it's which sort of like the beat that you're landing on is the beat that says basically yeah it's bad that they were abused but like look what that ab- like look what the abuse, abuse made allowed them, them to do, to do. exactly yeah. there's like a sort of subtext it's not like super- it's not intentional necessarily but like the fact that he like the fact that they were seem both to abused be the by under this man yeah it does feel like the underlying lifeblood
1: yeah it feels yes. very much feels like this is the underlying sort of understanding of the Burn Notice writers room is like you know. It's okay. Things bad happen, but you know the way it's a very libertarian way to see the world yeah. I feel like like this oh, is something yes. that I very much bought into in my childhood and early adulthood is like you know sometimes bad things are going to happen and you can't control that and that sucks Uh, less government would help but you know it's how what you do with the trauma that like determines if you're worthy or not like if you're like everyone has bad things happen to them but like if you're just going to cave to it then well maybe you weren't that strong to begin with but if you yeah. can take your trauma and turn it into something profit and productive then you're you know finally valuable and that very much is the ethos of this like morality structure in it your is. notice
0: and i don't want to pin all of this on Mario specifically because you're right it is endemic to all of the writers of the show and
1: mm-hmm. but like, it's usually it more finds, subtle but it,
0: it very much is there <laughs> yes it finds its most purest form in episodes that he writes yeah and, it, and it's always a lot more blatant and more like in your face and like madeline doesn't say that it's good that it happened but like that implication is there and the sort of same thing that like you have to accept that like this was your dad like he was awful but like you should keep the car because he was your dad or whatever which is the same thing as like as like fee like getting this guy back together with his wife because like yeah no he was awful to her but like if he gets back together with her that's the most important thing like it's important that they stay together just like it's important that you keep the car and like it's important that the trauma made us who we are or whatever. Like,
1: And like the funny thing is, I mean, not really funny. haha. But like the interesting thing about it is that it wouldn't take all that much rewriting to make this not super fucked up. Like he can still keep the car just for a different reason. Not because like, well, the car and the man who made it, may, you know, made you who you are today. It could just be like, fuck that guy. Take his car. At least get one good thing out of him. You know? Yeah. And like it or can something. very much be like, I hate that this is the way that you had to develop but, like, remember that there were non-destructive things that made you who you are. Like, you are not the result of your trauma. You are who you are in spite of it.
0: Yes. Yes. And that doesn't...
1: That really doesn't actually change all that much you can still deal with it it can still be present in the story like i'm not advocating for like no abuse stories women can never be you know pushed around during a spy plot you know like that that's not what we're saying like it's gonna still be a bummer to watch especially taking into context like how much women beating there is in all of media but like putting all of that aside we're not saying that inherently the things that happen in this episode can't happen, because I do think that it's going to be easy to take that away from this episode. But you yes. have to be responsible about the way that you mistreat like historically mistreated people and people from historically mistreated like
0: communities. You have and to be also, thoughtful about it. The question becomes: Why are we doing it? Because why? Why is this plot happening? Like, does anything change for Michael and Madeline because of it? No, like. Is there any sort of growth? Is there any sort of, like, confronting of anything? At no point, again, like I said, I've harped on many times. At no point does anyone ever question that this is thing that should happen. If someone had, maybe, and we had discussed, like, why this happening. At no point does Madeline ever ask, or anyone, ask Michael, why is he being his father? Do you think, thinking about, what does it mean for you that, like, we you see him be really upset about the fact that he is having to be his father but like why is this the character that you're doing and like I said there's something there like how and I don't know if it's intentional where is the fact that his mom there triggering that because like I said he kind of doesn't start with the accent he picks up the accent mid-sentence and that could just be like Jeffrey Donovan not being great with accents but like (laughs) but like and it's probably that but like does, is are fact,
1: we to assume that his dad had an accent is that what you're supposing here
0: i kind of am like we get this i kind of got the sense that his dad has an accent i don't know it's hard to tell especially since it's like like the thing is that he is textually he is being his father i don't know if his dad had an accent but he also does a lot of southern accents like the thing is that like this will color every time that he does like a bad guy with a southern accent for me going forward
1: I feel like you're reading into this because we need to make this
0: show good. Well, no, I don't think so. I mean, death of the author, like, <laughs> like I mean, fair. If you if you want to
1: if you want to read into the universe that like the. The accent is a result of his father, and his father, a man from Florida, as far as we know, has a southern accent. I mean, I mean lots of people that.
0: in Florida have southern accents. Like the really? panhandle of Florida is the South.
1: Yeah, the panhandle, yes. but they're not in the panhandle.
0: Well, yeah, but like, are they from Miami? Like, is his dad like people? Like, it would it's not unreasonable that like like he someone moved from the panhandle of Florida to Miami. I don't think it is unreasonable that his dad would have a southern accent.
1: I mean, I, I I'm, I'm not saying that like this interpretation is incorrect. I, I find no, it totally. wildly uh, unlikely, but I, I think th- it's an interesting read that will definitely make bad guy uh, aliases with southern accents slightly more interesting.
0: I don't know. I.
1: But it'll also hurt Homer. And Homer is our boy. Well,
0: Homer is not abusive.
1: Yeah, but he does have a southern accent. A very strong I'm southern not accent,
0: saying that like fact. I'm saying is that like if you put a southern accent and pair it with the I mean in general, I'm we're focusing too much on the accent cuz it also like it colors anytime he plays like this kind of scumbag. Like anytime I mean yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable to
1: to assume that anytime he's he's leaning into the scumbag side, he's leaning into the father's side.
0: Exactly. At a do that, I point is that don't like, think is unreasonable. No, exactly. And the thing is that, like, at, you are bringing this up and then not saying anything about it. And then the question becomes, like, why are we telling the story? Why have we engineered <laughs> I mean, a scenario? We,
1: we can ask that question every week, Chris.
0: <laughs> no, no. But, like, no. Like, but specifically, why are we telling the story? Why have we engineered a scenario so? In which this happens. Nothing comes of it. So then the question becomes, why did we do it? And then if nothing comes of it, the reason that we did it was so we could do it. The reason that we Mm -hmm. did it was so we could have an episode in which this thing happens, because it would be dramatic if it happened. And that's the irresponsible thing that's the thing is it becomes we're doing it just so we can see it just so we can watch Michael do this thing and then watch him feel bad about it and then not ever really make it about anything other than maybe like it made him who he was or whatever fake sort of lip service to like a shitty theme that like is not there we if you're going to do this sort of thing a character like this thing has a going setup. on here
1: exactly this has to set guess. up like a longer form character thematic journey throughout the exactly. season like about yeah, him unpacking even, his trauma finding things about his dad he did like maybe you know like trying to or just, times or not and going to therapy yeah thinking
0: about like why he assumes that why he assumes this is the thing that he has to do because there are lots of times where they just say that i have to do this thing like there'll be a thing there'll be like episodes where it'll be like well this is the only way that we can do this scam and then two weeks later they'll have basically the same problem and do a totally different scam like the the choices that they make when they do these sorts of scams matter and by having telling a story wherein they have to, they make all of these choices and never questioning whether or not it's a good idea to be making these choices, it's like why are you doing this? It seems like you could tell a story about who Michael, like why Michael does the things that he does, but it never really does. It explains this it shows us a thing it doesn't tell it doesn't really give us any reason why we're watching it other than we want to watch this man abuse this woman
1: i think it's less that and more just like obligatory season mention of then
0: we have a scene of michael and max uh and max politely chides him for involving fee in his job and then gives him a cd as a gift and says that it's improvisational and says improvisational jazz i figure that's your style and like isn't all jazz improvisational i mean like some jazz is way more structured than other jazz like big band stuff is pretty structured but like pretty much all jazz involves some sort of improvisation but that's not important but it it, it annoyed me and so in the next scene like michael is listening to the improvisational jazz in the loft and fee comes to the loft and michael very earnestly tells her that their lives are changing a lot and fee is worried that this means that they're breaking up or he's going to do cia stuff more now but then michael says no you're an important part of my life and then he shows her a a plank of wood and said and she's like this is for you and she's like what and he's like, it's like it's a shelf well it's gonna be a shelf for your snow globes. and then yes and recalled this like last season like michael <laughs> fee is moving into the loft yeah, and like here's is. the thing this scene is really cute
1: it is, and it almost made me angrier at the episode. So I was like, yes, "How no, dare you try is to
0: trick this me?" Scene it's, happening in this episode. And I think
1: it's strategic. I think they can't show violence against women. <laughs> against one woman and thing. think that they get away with it they're smart enough to know that that's not okay and so they're like well we'll trick them by having a balance one girl gets but like, what she
0: wants if they had even and i'm not saying that this is what should have happened but even if they had implied that like DS experience like caused him to do this because then at least then it's again then it's about something but like and it's so weird that we are ending on this like nice Michael Michael and Fee moment because this was not a Michael and Fee episode. I feel like one mm-hmm. of the nice things about episodes that are about Michael and Madeline is that usually they end on Michael and Madeline. Like, mm-hmm. there's been some really great Michael and Madeline scenes where they talk about things. Like, remember the episode? This episode reminds me a lot of the one where... One of, where madeline like had to betray that woman who was her friend remember oh yeah i
1: love that episode
0: that's a great episode and in a lot of ways it's very similar to this episode in that like she gets involved with the case and michael has her do things that she's like not they're difficult and she does them that's an episode that gives her way more agency in it and like has her push back and at the end if i remember correctly they have a really good scene in the kitchen that's like that really digs into shit and like Mm -hmm. you would think with this episode that that's how it would end but it doesn't like she's like the first plot line that gets resolved and like really kind of perfunctorily like this was a really awful thing that we had to sit through like Mm
1: -hmm. and michael basically or and uh madeline basically just is like it's fine it had to happen let's 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 be glad that we are better because of it
0: yeah Let's just sweep this under the rug and, like, act mm-hmm. like uh, act like this is which, not what the episode was.
1: in fairness, is very much seems to be Madeline's, like, style. Yeah. Like, Madeline very much does seem and has canonically been the woman who's just like, let's just not talk about it. Like, very repressed, yes, you know, Catholic
0: kind of nonsense. And that is. You would think that if there was any episode in which that they would actually talk about it, it would be this one because that's the thing is like why are you telling a story if not to like have that conversation Mm -hmm. but yeah instead we get this like random like cute scene with fee and michael that's like yeah it's related to the opening but the opening like this whole fee and michael bookend has nothing to do with the like thing that you've done in the middle of the episode
1: yeah it feels very like afterthoughty yeah
0: it seems like this is like these are scenes that would happen in an episode that was about Fee. It's not about Fee. Fee isn't even involved in, like, Michael's main emotional plot. Like, he sends her away because he doesn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't push either. It's just, I don't know. That's yeah. this episode. Let's talk about Spartyups. When you're pursuing someone, it's tempting to focus exclusively on overtaking the other person. It's often better to force the other person you're chasing to go faster than the terrain allows and wait for them to make a mistake. But even when the chase ends, you can never assume the other person will give up without a fight. And we've had a tip that's basically this tip, but the last time we got this tip, it was let them tire themselves out. Whereas this time it's like, let use the terrain against them, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that felt different enough that I thought maybe we could include it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's like, it, it, your your goal is not to catch them. Your goal is to make them make a mistake so that yeah. you can catch them easier. That makes sense. And then... And, and I bet that d- depending on the terrain. Yeah, exactly. That's the best way to do it.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we got that one then. Controlling an unruly asset is tough, especially when women and alcohol are combined, which is why, as a general rule, you don't even try to control the hunter. You just scare off the prey, which is this was the scene of him cock blocking the awful guy. By Mm -hmm. like pointedly pointing out that he is married.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that Michael's way of doing it was so obvious to as like absolutely get him fired from the babysitting gig. There were definitely more subtle ways to handle that, but it worked, I guess.
0: What do you think about this as a tip?
1: I think it's useful. I think that makes sense. And instead yeah. of trying to be like, it is also hey, a tip. love your it, wife.
0: Yeah. It is also a tip that is basically, boys will be boys. I mean, but, yeah.
1: that's kind of the thesis of burn notice. But in that's any ways. kind of a
0: thesis of burn notice. So, like, what are you going to do? Exactly. Using civilians in undercover operations is all about emotional manipulation. So, it's your job to help them be who they need to be, feel what they need to feel by any means necessary. Is that true? Is that useful?
1: I mean, I think what this tip is saying is if you're working with an untrained asset, sometimes you can't fake it. Sometimes you really need to make them like... Exa- they, no, if that's you, 100% if you, what it is. And I th- I bet that's true. You know, the best reactions are real reactions. The best lie yeah. has a ring of truth in it.
0: It's funny because last week we were talking a lot. I kept harping on comparing Burn Nose to like a film set. <laughs> um, but this is like the same thing that male directors use to justify, like, abusing their cast, especially their female Mm cast. It's like, you know, it's like fucking The Shining and Kubrick and all that bullshit. Mm
1: -hmm. That is but I mean. It's true. (laughs) Like, it's not justifiable in art. Yeah, I think we keep it. It's not justifiable in art. No movie is important enough to traumatize somebody. In this situation, you know, I get it. It Happens. You're saving lives. But... I just wanted to put out there that I think that auteur theory is bullshit. I think auteurs are bullshit. I think they are just excuses, fancy excuses to let talented people off the hook so that they can be abusive Mm -hmm. and help other abusive men make lots of money. And also most auteurs are not only bullshit as just like who they are, but I guarantee they're not nearly as brilliant as they think they are. Like half of the auteurs heavily depend on like other people to help them do their jobs, whether it's, you know, their star that they work with a lot, whether it's an editor who makes their, you know, incomprehensible 27 take nonsense comprehensible. Yeah. Um so like the, the one true genius thing is not a thing. Cool. Tarantino can go to hell. I just wanted to make Tarantino sure that. Tarantino can go to hell. Oh totally.
0: <laughs> All right. The most advanced directional microphones can capture human speech at distances of 200 meters So long as you have a clear line of sight on your target, there's nothing better for eavesdropping on a private conversation. And like they do clarify this. We do see the episode that like They have a good line of sight but then people walk through like walk by and then the mic doesn't the mic picks up the wrong conversations and stuff
1: yeah i think that Uh, makes sense and uh, most people probably don't have an understanding of like what a directional or um omnidirectional microphone is like you and i obviously do because we are filmmakers we are podcasters
0: did you know we're filmmakers have we not mentioned that enough on this podcast yes when tailing someone dangerous it's a good idea to give yourself an innocent sounding reason to be following your target most of the time you won't need it, but if it turns out your target is onto you, you re- you'll really need it. And this was like Sam with the watch, where he was like, oh, yeah, you dropped your watch. Is that something? Mm-hmm.
1: So it's one of those things where it seems obvious, but like I, that might not be something I prepare when I'm following someone.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, you don't want to be improvising it. You want to have it ready.
1: Mm-hmm. It likes to have a prop ready to you know sell it, to have another thing going yeah. on. It's yeah. vague enough that we might have heard something similar to it, but it's a, a nice little concise tip. And I think for better or worse, this is going to be a great episode of Burn Notice, and I think that we need to sit in that.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I think we do too. All
1: right. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say go go for it. That's five practical spy tips.
0: All right. Did they use spycraft over violence?
1: Um. Yeah. Well, they
0: used violent spycraft. I mean, but that's true. Oftentimes, that was true last week.
1: That's true. But yeah, no, I think they definitely used Spycraft in both um, of their yeah. little cases. Their CIA case and their non-CIA case.
0: Yep. In both of them.
1: Uh-huh. In both.
0: And if nothing else, they used gadgets at one point.
1: That's true. They do use gadgets, and we love it when they and use that's gadgets. What,
0: yeah. I do you love it when they use a gadget. Now, here's a question.
1: <laughs> I was waiting for this one.
0: Is this a memorable alias?
1: Michael plays and, his father.
0: And it is... I'm not going to forget it. Um, The character itself, like, yeah, that's the thing is where like,
1: does he have a name? The character?
0: No, he doesn't have a name, but like, that's the thing is that like, this is an episode that is using aliases in a way that the show does not normally do. Like this is an episode that hinges on like the fact that he is doing an alias. And like all of the drama comes from the fact that he's doing an alias.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that's interesting. Like, damn this yeah. episode it did a lot of really interesting things and to no, your this point in the very beginning the things that we've been wanting it to do just like i the know worst possible theme to choose for the worst possible this is a to real
0: be careful what you wish for episode of television <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah i do think that it's a memorable alias i'm going to remember the alias that is michael's father beating his mother in front of a mark
0: yeah now are at least two supporting <laughs> characters used well uh, <laughs> i think what they are like i mean i don't well Bruce?
1: yeah fee fee gets to blow up a guy's like libido which is a metaphor yeah, he
0: does and like
1: use of blowing something up and she gets I to, to like the be thing reckless yeah,
0: yeah i did like the scene it was fun to watch like fee play like this, like, dangerous woman.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, like, I like when when Fee's allowed to go full chaos.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't think Sam um, does anything particularly Bruce Campbell, does no, he?
0: No, he doesn't. He doesn't even um, drink that much. No, he just, like, aids and abets this awful thing. Mm-hmm. Jesse's contribution to this episode is that he works for a company with money.
1: Mm-hmm. And he brings the case to them.
0: But yeah, that's like, nothing. That's it. Like, yeah. But, like, yeah, he is, he is there to provide, like gadgets essentially
1: yeah and that i don't feel makes him a distinct addition
0: all right it's interesting our rule for madeline is has a genuine emotional (laughs) moment with another character or gets to do the case of the week she gets both i mean yeah i mean we could debate whether or not the moment that she's having with michael is like genuine or good or whatever like we've given our genuine is different than good
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah genuine is
0: different than good. the point that i'm making is that while we did give our some wiggle room on that rule we did not give ourselves wiggle room on the gets to the case of the week rule it doesn't matter whether or not any of this works she's involved with the case and that's the rule so this is a great episode of burn notice yep sure is is it a great episode of television which is the thing here's the thing that is so frustrating is that yes it does a lot of things that we have asked the show to do okay and well
1: i think I think we need to make a distinction, though, because great episode of television is not just structurally great. Because I think we can both agree, unfortunately, this is a pretty structurally great episode. All of the yes. pieces are in place. But I do think that greatness implies that, like, what is being done with that structure being great must be something worthy of, like, study, yes. worthy of discussion. No, I agree. And I, Let's think.
0: I do think it fumbles the ball and making this about something actually yeah it's thematically coherent but it doesn't actually do anything with these characters other than put them through this terrible thing
1: exactly and i and i do think that that's important like i, I and i yeah. also think that in context it is important too because like this is an episode that deals with the trauma of a lot of stuff that we know the show isn't going to deal with and even this episode doesn't deal with it responsibly like i think it needs to be good to be great and it's not
0: yeah and it's not i agree i just want to like really harp harp in on that because i can see like people like calling us biased calling us biased or like here no this is the thing that you asked for why don't you like it and this is why we don't like it and it's not just that we're like hysterical women or something but you know
1: i mean we are hysterical women but about i mean we
0: are but like yeah we're
1: uneducated (laughs) we say both wrong we've had quite the hiatus everyone
0: we have and yeah i just wanted to like say that and make it clear i don't think this is a great episode of television
1: I don't either. Was there any yogurts in your episode? There weren't in mine.
0: No, there were not yogurts. Damn. Okay.
1: There was a yogurt um, joke in the last episode. There was. But that doesn't count. That's not enough. No. Next week is a Michael, Hor- Michael Horowitz episode.
0: Ooh, we'll see what goes on there. But yeah. yeah it's um, an interesting.
1: I, I wrote down the writers for all the episodes just to have them in my spreadsheet preloaded. It's an interesting split. Alfredo only has one more episode this season. Michael Horowitz hmm. has two Ryan Johnson and Peter Lilanus have two. Those are the guys that wrote the episode with, um, the the Hurricane episode. Yeah, Lisa Joy. Oh, they do another together. Episode. Yeah, yeah, they do it together. They're they're they're, cool. a, they're a writing team. Um, but yeah, Lisa yeah. Joy comes back for a mid season episode. Ooh. Um, so I have, I mean, in spite of everything, the writing is stronger. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, maybe i mean remember last season was the best season of burn notice so far objectively look just looking at facts so yeah i mean for the love of god matt nix wrote a great episode of television last season anything can happen
0: anything can happen including the show could give us what we want and we'll hate it
1: (laughs) i mean it serves us right frankly
0: it serves us right i felt uncomfortable watching it i don't like that it exists That's all I can say about it. Mm -hmm. And with that, I guess there's nothing else left to say, but to thank Vincent EL for our theme music. If you want more from Vince, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. Bye.
1: Everybody go get vaccinated so I can leave my house again.